Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings this Lord's Day, this third day of Christmas and our fifth week of our Advent season. Greetings. Greetings. It's also known today as the, on the liturgical calendar, and has been for a long time, as the Feast of the Innocents, or what's also called Childer Mass. Uh, This is the commemoration of the day that all of the children in Bethlehem that were killed by King Herod as they were trying to search out Christ, the Christ child, and kill him. Kind of a, a sad thing, uh, but what we'll always find is that in the midst of every uh, wonderful thing that God sends, there's also a mixture uh, of sadness uh, in the world. Even at the Last Supper, who was there? Judas was still there, Right? Uh, and all of the, the great events, the miracles, there were always the sin and death and, and different things that were lingering there in the midst. But today, as we work our ways toward uh, Epiphany uh, and the end of the Advent season, um, we're going to ask ourselves the question today, what are you looking for? And it's a good question to ask. And I hope today that we will learn that wise men seek their king. Everybody say, wise men seek their king. Wise men seek their king. Our call to worship today comes from Psalm 72. It is a psalm of Solomon. Give the king thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness unto the king's son. He shall judge thy people with righteousness and the poor with judgment. The mountains shall bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He shall judge the poor. My computer is a little bit glitching here. I'm sorry about that. He shall judge the poor of thy people and he shall save the children of the needy and shall break in pieces the oppressor. They shall fear thee as long as the sun and the moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass as showers that water the earth. In his days shall the righteous flourish in abundance of peace so long as the moon endures. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea. Sorry, guys. 
They that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him, and his enemies shall lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and the isles shall bring presents, and the kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him, and all nations shall serve him. For he shall deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also when him that hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and the needy, and he shall save the souls of the needy. He shall redeem their soul from deceit and violence, and precious shall be their blood in his sight. He shall live, and to him shall be given the gold of Sheba. Prayer also shall be made for him continually, and daily shall he be praised. There shall be a handful of corn in the earth upon the top of the mountains, and the fruit thereof shall shake like Lebanon, and they of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. His name shall endure forever, and his name shall be continued as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall be called in him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who doth wondrous things, and blessed be the glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. standing for a little bit. I, we, my text was actually already read in the reading, but I'm just going to read three or four verses here, four verses from Matthew chapter two. Uh, my message today is called wise men seek their King. Matthew chapter two, starting in verse eight. And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring him Bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, and when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. We pray today, Lord, that you would speak to us from this story, uh, the story of your birth. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see in it, Lord, things that are meant for us, that we might understand and be thankful today for your goodness that you have shed abroad in our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. You may be seated. For the past four weeks, we have been talking about the many years the world waited for the coming of the Christ child. We talked about the importance of the doctrine of hope and how it gives light in darkness. We talked about how faith works and about Christ, the never-ending oil of joy. And last week, how love always intercedes. Amen? This week, our calendar heads toward Epiphany, which will be January the 6th, and we're looking again at the story of the Magi. And during this time of year, we always remember that the Magi were Gentiles like us. Until the coming of Christ, God's chosen people were part of one family, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, known as what? The children of Israel, right? 
Now, none of us can claim the bloodline that flows back to these patriarchs. Maybe ancestry may say 1% of you do or something like that. Part of you does. Uh, But until Christ came, we certainly were hopelessly outside the gates of the kingdom. We were, as uh, referred to more than once in the scriptures, the Gentile dogs. (laughs) That's who we were. Uh, The way the New Testament puts it, those who were not a people have become what? The people of God. You see, part of the gospel, the good news of the coming of Christ, is that God's people would not only be from one bloodline in the Middle East, from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but that henceforth God would call men, women, boys and girls from every kindred, every tribe, every people, and every nation to be his children in the earth. That is pretty wonderful news. Amen. All of those are God's children, red and yellow, black and white, as the song says, and all the wonderful shades in between. Those who were not a people can now be called the people of God. God's spirit fills men and women of all peoples of the earth, and he makes each of them new creatures in him. All things are passed away, and behold, as the scripture tells us, all things are become new, even our nationalities. We are citizens of his heavenly kingdom come to earth. Amen. You know, you may, maybe even for Christmas, someone got you your genealogy and you're proud to find out that you're part Scottish or Irish or whatever you, you are. But what you are all of every single bit in Ancestry.com can't quite figure this out is that we are the children of God. Amen. The Bible says that if we're children of God, then we are heirs in him of the kingdom of God. That is fantastic news. The fairy tales are always that uh, this person born in obscurity and in poverty one day discovers that he is in the bloodline or she is in the bloodline uh, to be a king or a prince. Did did not all, all of them go like that? Did you know that fairy tale has come true in all of us? We are the children of the king. In our text, the story of the coming of the Magi, it points us to this wonderful truth. The Magi were somewhere east of Israel, and as we have explained several times before when we've discussed this, from modern-day Iran or Iraq near Babylon, perhaps these astrologers or magicians, for this is certainly what they were, the the word here, wise men, uh, that can be interpreted, it's it's a word that comes from the word uh, Magi. Uh, It's the same word used in Acts 8 and Acts 13 to refer to sorcerers, Simon the sorcerer, right? And Elamus the sorcerer. These were uh, maybe not in the way that you think of them, but they certainly were people who had some kind of secret knowledge and understood some things uh, that we would maybe even refer to as magic. Astrologers are those who look back at the stars for wisdom on how to live their lives, and they also look to the future. Now, they have a false religion, we don't look to the stars to find our hope. And, but, but do you know there must be messages in the stars that can be read? I don't think it has to do with whether you're a, you know, uh, I don't even really want to say the signs of the, of the you know, whatever. But, but it, it, that, that isn't the answer, right? If you get your newspaper out each week and say, oh, I was born at this certain time. And so I must be going to have a good day today, okay? This is not... This is not what the people of God do, okay? But there, there was and there is, I believe, still uh, language being spoken through the stars. 
And uh, there was a time when people understood it, and that time is gone. Uh, but this, these false religion, these superstitious, they, they've always perverted what seems uh, to be the true things of God. And we could see God in the stars, which is alluded to in the book of Psalms and in Job, right? Psalm says, the heavens do what? They declare the glory of God. Now we say, oh, well, that just means we look at them and we say they're great. Well, I think it's a little bit more than that. they seem to have, by God's decree, uh, these men somehow were able to look at the stars and say, oh, look, it appears that a king is born in Israel. Now, how did they know that? They knew something. They were reading something and they read it right, right? And here they came. They had seen some sign in the starry host that proclaimed the one born king of Israel and king of the world. Notice how they did not come to see a man who was made king, but one who was born king. So somehow they knew that. They knew that someone had been born. They knew that he was a king and they knew the approximate geographical location. They knew enough from the prophecy to know he would be king of the Jews and the general place of his birth. And I don't know anyone who could read that in the heavens. In fact, one day that might be something interesting to find out. You know, uh, if you've studied Copernicus or Galileo or, or Kepler or any of these great, uh, these great minds, you know, that, that studied the starry hosts and, 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 and understand what's going on with the numbers and where exactly things will be. You know, you can reverse it. You could go back today, one day at a time, all the way back and know where the sun was and the stars were and where the planets were. And one day, maybe we will be wise enough with all of our technology to figure out what they saw from where they were that told them this message that might be kind of a uh, Rosetta Stone of star uh, interpretation that we could learn from. Anyway, I don't know. Some people are interested in scientific things. Some people read the Bible like it's some sort of a fairy tale that never happened. But they actually saw something that was very, very strange. They saw something, a star that moved and you go, well, maybe God just put a bright light. You know, it doesn't seem like that's the kind of thing God does. God set from the beginning of time something that was going to happen. But King Herod was busy doing many things. But apparently after 400 years of silence, most of the Jews had forgotten or had lost faith that the prophecy was going to come to pass. They had the scriptures that told them that there would be one born in Bethlehem, right? But they weren't really looking. But yet these guys all the way over, these sorcerers, these stargazers, perhaps maybe even uh, descendants of those who knew Daniel and were taught the ways of God, maybe they had some of the Old Testament scriptures. I don't know what they had. But something that they saw brought them there. We know that they, there were pious and devout people in Jerusalem and among the people of God who had not forgotten about this, right? We remember Anna, who was talked about in the scripture, and Simon. And we know that there were priests and scribes still devoted to knowing God's word. But the majority of Israel had obviously given up on this promise or they had come to believe that they misunderstood it. Here's what the Bible tells us, the wise men who were seeking this little one to be king. It says this in Matthew chapter 2, 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men or magi from the east to Jerusalem. The most obvious aspect of the story shouts out a contrast that we cannot miss. Here, Gentile magicians traveling from afar seeking Jesus 
after waiting and looking for his star while the Jewish people totally and completely, by and large, missed it. They had the information about when and where the birth of Messiah would take place. It shows the hardness of the sinful heart. In fact, that's the message of the giving of law to the children of Israel because they could have it all written down. They could have a special relationship with God, but still yet what? Still they would not obey him. They would not follow him because what they, didn't, what they needed really was a new heart. And they didn't have that. They just had the law. Even if God were to give a clear roadmap of how to live, how to treat others, how God planned to heal the word, man's hearts were so dead and blind that even with all of this, he would get lost, twisting and turning these directions into confusion. This is one of the great lessons. If there had been a law given that could have given life, the law that Moses gave would have done just that, but it did not. That's why a religion of good works fails and brings forth the fruit of hypocrisy. The letter kills, but the spirit does what? It gives life. This law, though, is not the king. Wise men still seek their king. They do not seek a law that they actually can't follow, even if they want. Sometimes I think we think if we get, if we get it down, if we know exactly how to live and we do it exactly a certain way, then we'll have a certain result. It doesn't work like that. It works that we get our hearts changed. Amen. So these strange visitors from the east came with a caravan of gifts for Herod, the king of the Jews, but their gifts were not for him. This must have been quite a strange thing for them to be bearing gifts and not to have deposited them there at the palace. That would have been what would have been expected. Here they all come. They've got these gifts and they come to the palace. But do they give the gifts to him? No, they go, hey, can you tell us where the king was born? This would have been very, very disturbing for a king. Here's what they said in verse 2. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. What's ironic is this guy was the king of the Jews. The idea of worship to them was most likely not worship like you would think of it. You and I would use this word worship. Sometimes people even mention this about, you know, they worship their wives. What do they mean? Does it mean there's an altar in your house or does it mean that you give her gifts and that you lavish upon her your love and your honor and your appreciation? They did this in uh, these days. We don't live in a day where people do this, but it was the custom of the time. People would come and they would line up. And if, if you've been to museums, which I've been to museums all over the world, there are pictures and carvings of this kind of thing everywhere. Outside of Babylon, there's a mile long and they've got lions and they've got, you know, uh, big things of, of, of exotic fruit and, and gold and they're bringing it to the king. What are they doing? They're like, you're the king. You're the one. You're the, you're, you're, you're the king. And that was their way of offering gifts uh, to the king so that they could garner favor from him. They would do this to show respectfully and hopefully not be attacked by the king. Now, the strange thing here is that they did not understand what a threat and possibly an insult that their visit might have been for Herod. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled and so was all of Jerusalem. So it wasn't just him 
So it was troubling for him, but imagine all the people in Jerusalem watching a caravan of gifts come, but they don't go to their king and they want to know where the, where the, the king of the Jews is. This would be very, very troubling. All of Jerusalem's like, oh no, are we about to head into war? Is there, is there going to be some kind of a civil war going on? They had lived through times of great devastation in these types of civil wars. Instead of being glad that this was troubling and Herod had done many evil things to keep his kingdom and he thought his position would give him immortality, but it would not. Power and position cannot save us. Wise men seek their king. Amen. And that's what they were seeking. Herod was seeking what? His own, his own kingdom to preserve it. If you read the antiquities and the story of this man, he was uh, a murderer. He was an adulterer. He was a vile, vile man. So think about it. You're the king and the news of this happens. This is kind of like Saul and David. Right? Saul is the king, but what does God do? God anoints another guy a king while he's alive and while he's still king. Okay? In fact, I really believe this shadow in the life of David and Saul works like this. I believe this is why David was anointed king years before he was. Just in the same way Jesus was born and he was king, and yet there still was another king reigning. Okay? Born in Bethlehem, anointed king in Bethlehem, just like David. that amazing? And yet not made king for many years. Moses was also like this, and I'm sure this was for the same reason. God had rejected Saul and anointed David, the new king, while Saul was still the king. And now Herod was hearing about a king who would take his place. Was it going to be at his death? Herod's sons would not be king, he wondered, and Jerusalem was stirred up. Herod had built many incredible things around the region. I've seen them with my own eyes. They are amazing. He had, at this time, built something that isn't there anymore. He had just rebuilt the temple. It was magnificent. And I don't really think there's any way anybody here can imagine it. Uh, and, and I'm not even sure I can, even though I've been to Israel. But the greatest temple I've ever seen, and I've told you about it before, it is incredible. It's in the city of Yangon, the Shwedagon Pagoda. It's one of the oldest, most ancient, most incredible, largest temples in the world. Um, we, every year we go to Yangon, we end up visiting that temple, not because we're worshiping at the temple, but because people want to see it. You know, we're bringing people that have never been. Steve, you remember going and I'm like, okay, you got to sort of prepare yourself for this. It's not like going to visit a church. I mean, it's not even like going to visit a cathedral. It's like visiting what, like 10 cathedrals at one time. You know, it's like, it's an, it's amazingly huge. Um, now it takes hours just to see everything. And it's on a 10 acre complex of buildings. And so that's giant, right, Steve? So think of this, the temple, Solomon's temple, Herod's rebuilt temple of it, 35 acre complex. So just kind of imagine three times the size of the Shwedagon in all of its grounds. That is amazing to me. So it must have been mind-blowing. Josephus tells us that the main structure at the center had white marble double pillars, each made one of one stone and 30 to 40 feet tall. The smell of the elaborately carved cedar beams and all the gold and silver 
coating all of its furniture must have just been amazing. When we go, a lot of the things we see are painted gold, but even at Schwedegon, there are four tons of gold in the facility itself. Great temples, though, do not make a kingdom. Amen? Herod and all the men would learn that wise men do not seek to build physical buildings as a way to challenge and change the hearts of men and change the world. What do wise men seek? Everybody say it with me. Wise men seek their king. That's what we seek. We can get caught up in trying to build kingdoms here on earth. And even in even the church before the Great Reformation, people were starving and they were building these vast cathedrals that reached to the skies. And they were saying this somehow was going to be the glory of the Lord and the earth. But it was not. In fact, God would have to overturn the entire church because of this insane practice, really, of worshiping structure. Herod had elevated the status of Israel by this, these building projects and uh, the building over the cave of the patriarchs in Hebron and the ruins at Masada uh, are still there 2,000 years later. His palace, not far from there, uh, it's actually part of it is still there. They were all magnificent, but today they're merely something to look at with no real power to help or to save anyone, only to entertain tourists. Herod was making things better than they had ever been visually, and there had been peace in the region after a long and tumultuous time. Was this going to stir up things and ruin the prosperity of the good life? Herod must have wondered things were so good under this ruthless ruler that they had, un, they had overlooked his ungodly and murderous ways. Wise men do not seek wealth and prosperity and man-made temporary peace that will pass. Wise men seek their king. Verse 4, when they gathered all the chief priests and scribes and the people together, they demanded of them where Christ should be born. You see, Herod obviously was not given to understanding the word of God himself. He was given to plenty though. And they said unto him in Bethlehem, they, they knew the answer right away. So it wasn't as though they didn't know. They knew. Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written in the prophet. And they quote it. Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, art thou not least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people. This is out of the book of Micah, chapter 5. I'll read it right out of Micah. Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon his cheek. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of these shall he come forth unto me that to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old and from everlasting. Now notice that there were those who were there who knew the answer to when and where, or at least where Messiah would be born. But we hear nothing of the excitement at the asking of the question. They're not going, well, oh, is he born? They're excited. No, they're so caught up in, they're just guys who know stuff. They're just guys who sought knowledge, who, were, who, who sought self-importance through knowledge. There are many who seek knowledge for the sake of knowing something you don't know or being thought of as wise or being put up in an important position. But true wise men seek the king of kings, not just knowledge about God. Amen. I think this is a real problem that we have around some of the people we hang around. There are people who seek knowledge for the sake of knowledge's sake. The Bible tells us that knowledge does what? It puffs up. You 
You know, when you find out that people are smart, it's not necessarily a compliment. In fact, in the book of Philippians, Paul said, what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Some of the smartest people in the world are the most ignorant. They're the most foolish. They're the most prideful in what they know. As if somehow they know something. As if somehow they're so smart, they're smarter than God. But it says in verse 8 that he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him. You notice he didn't send an envoy from his palace. He told these wise men, you go find him and then let me know where he's at. Why was he doing this? He wanted to keep this all a secret, but he wanted to know where the child was so he could deal with him, so he could kill him. Imagine looking in the Bible, Andy, imagine this, trying to find out when God was going to do something so that you could go try to stop it. Can you imagine this arrogance? Let's find out what the Bible says where he's going to be born so we can go kill him. You might go, nobody's that evil. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> they're, they're way worse than that. Herod wanted to know where he was without others learning, not to worship him. Some used knowledge to hurt others, and this is what kind of man Herod had become and what he would always be. Verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. They were excited. What was Israel? Were they excited? No, they were troubled. Herod, was he rejoicing that he had found in the prophecy that the one, the king, the Messiah was going to come? He's like, no, we want to find out so we can kill him. See the contrast here, Tim? The people who should be excited are not excited. And the people really who have no right to be excited until this point are the ones who are excited. They're the ones seeking while the people of God are not. In these days, the heavens were truly declaring the glory of God as the psalmist had said they would in Psalm 19. And these men from the east rejoiced with exceeding joy. It was a night like the morning stars that had sung together in Job 38. But this time their song was about this new and marvelous creation of God and man and not merely the creation of the world. The fact is yet another of the countless proofs of God's sovereignty over all things. It was no mere accident that Jesus happened to be born at a time when there was a, uh, a, a celestial uh, occurrence in the sky that made uh, a light over Bethlehem. That's not, that, takes, that takes from the beginning of time to plan that. It was no mere accident. There was some heavenly body, planet or planets or star that gave the strange appearance in the sky. Recently, you may have seen the one that they call the Christmas star. Did you guys see it? From December the 15th to the 21st, Jupiter and Saturn came closer together than they have come in uh, 800 years. Isn't that fantastic? Uh, they were so close together, you could even see the moons uh, of Jupiter, the four moons of Jupiter, they were very together. This happened 400 years ago, but it happened in the daytime. So we missed it. Okay. But 800 years ago, it happened like this, right? So it takes a long time of exact planning that God had set up for this to happen. And whatever happened over Bethlehem that night was just as rare and certainly occurred at a very specific time as a sign to all those who were looking the king would have, the king of kings would have orchestrated this from the beginning of time. 
God had come to earth in the form of a baby, and as they approached the city of David, the light in the night sky led them to the place of his birth. Those who study the stars, who stay up all hours of the night, endure harsh conditions, stare and look up for days on end to catch a glimpse of a comet or forecast that streak across the heavens. For these men who love to look up, they were now looking at something truly marvelous to behold. A star was leading them. It stopped. When does that happen? They'd never seen anything like this. It was a good omen, they know undoubtedly thought. Something was going to be in this village. Their hearts began to beat with anticipation. We will never know what was the particular thing about the star that led them maybe to the very house where the child was living, but somehow it did. Maybe the shepherds that had been there at the day of his birth, which was a lot earlier than this, uh, maybe they told them. Maybe they encountered them in the fields and they said, where is this child? If you remember, the shepherds had told many in the region of their experiences the night that Jesus was born, the angelic host appeared and they heard it saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Verse 11, when they were come nigh to the house, they saw the young child. See, note here, he's no longer a baby. It had been some time since the birth and now he was a toddler with Mary, his mother. They fell down and they worshiped him when they had opened their treasures. They presented him with gold, frankincense and myrrh. The event was a shadow of the millions of Gentiles that would come. We heard this in Isaiah chapter 60. We hear about this in Psalm 72 in our call of worship where Gentiles will come and bring him gifts. The the reason for this in Psalm 72 and in Isaiah 60 is because it's what you do when you honor a king. You give him gifts. And in these chapters, they are coming and they're bringing gifts. These were not unusual gifts to offer a king, but for a young family and a small child to be receiving them from wealthy magi from many miles away, it was certainly strange indeed. I'm sure the story of the caravan of gift-laden camels that came with this small town added to the stories already being told in the region about the birth of a child from a virgin whose angels had visited the day of his birth. Now strangers were coming with gifts to recognize the child for who he was. He was the king of Israel. It was the second time in ancient history a king was anointed in Bethlehem while a king still sat on his throne. Here in the city of David, the inhabitants were building an awareness that God was moving in their midst. And he certainly was working through this little family. This is one of the great themes of scripture that God uses very ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary works. The Magi had seen signs, but it was not the signs that they sought. It was the king himself. This is what true wise men do. They do not live their lives looking for signs unless those signs are guideposts that lead them to their king. Amen? Wise men seek their king. And when we seek him, we will, <clears throat> he will find us and he will protect us and save us as he did these men. Being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. God not only protected the Christ child, but he even protected the Magi who headed home avoiding Jerusalem and Herod because of God's warning. They heeded God's warning while many get the warnings and fail to heed them. Wise men seek their king and when he speaks, they listen and obey him and God keeps them in the palm of his hand. You will reap what you sow and we are warned and yet we continue to sow sinfully. Judgment begins at the house of God. 
God, who is our father, chastens his children as evidence of his sonship. And yet we live as fatherless children and wonder what comes when we sin. They were warned of God and they escaped injury from the wrath of Herod, but others would not fare so well. Great suffering was about to come upon the region. Hosea 11 uh, tells us and, and prophesies of this event in uh, Hosea 11, 1 through 7, but we read it here from Matthew. When they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child to his mother and flee to Egypt and be there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him, just like Moses when he had been born. When he arose, he took the child and went his mother by night and departed Egypt and was there till the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. God had brought his children out of Egypt into the promised land. And now Jesus, like Moses, would come from Egypt and then back to the promised land. Later in the final days of his life, he would take the route of Joshua from Jericho to Jerusalem. Jesus would show all those that had gone before were forerunners of the true one who was promised to come to save the world from sin and death. In verse 16, it tells us that Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men. He was exceedingly angry and he sent and he slew the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coast thereof from two years old and under. Can you imagine something so horrible? According to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. So that means the child somehow was under the age of two. Then was that fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation, weeping, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they were not. Jeremiah 31, Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, bitter weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted, for, because they were not. Now, we, I know we've, I've been preaching for a while, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, and I'll, I'll wind up here uh, if I can. I don't know if I can. Uh, we'll try to stick the landing. But uh, Jeremiah 31, the context of Jeremiah 31, and we'll spend just a few minutes here in Jeremiah 31. Once again, it is a picture of what we see constantly in Scripture, a mingling of the difficult, the mingling of the sinful and the in, of God's judgment with the joy all at the same time. Just like in Isaiah chapter 9, you have blood and, and you have all this stuff and, and you have war and you have all this terrible stuff happening. But at the same time, what? Unto us a child is born. So you have this, this, this great contrast happening. Jeremiah 31 says, At the same time, saith the Lord, I will be the God of the families of Israel and they shall be my people. Thus saith the Lord, the people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness, even in Israel, when I went to cause him rest. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. It's a great, great passage. This whole I would recommend your families read this whole chapter. We cannot. But he said, I will, Again, I will build thee, and you shall be built, O virgin of Israel. Thou shalt again be adorned with the tabrets, and thou shalt go forth dancing. And making merry. You have to understand Jeremiah is speaking in a time of great sadness, a time of great desolation in Israel, and they're saying, But the joy is going to come. There shall be a day the watchman upon Mount Ephraim shall cry, Arise ye, and let us go to Zion, to the house of the Lord. When Jeremiah spoke these words, there was no temple. The temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians. 
For thus saith the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob, shout among the chief of the nations, publish ye praise ye. You say, O Lord, save the people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north. I will gather them from the coast of the earth, and with them the blind and the lame and the woman with child. And she that travaileth with child together, a great company shall return thither, and they shall come weeping with supplications. When I lead them, I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in the straightway, wherein they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. If you want to read this later, you can read the whole chapter. It's so beautiful. Down to verse 14, he said, I will satiate the soul of the priest with fatness and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, right in the middle of all of this joy, a voice shall be heard in Ramah, lamentation, bitter and weeping. Rachel weeping for her children refused to be comforted. But he says, thus saith the Lord, refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For thy work shall be rewarded, and they shall come again from the land of thine enemy. If you skip down to verse 21, O virgin of Israel, turn again. How long will you go about backsliding, daughter? For the Lord hath created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall compass a man. He goes down in verse 28. It shall come to pass that like I have watched over them to pluck them up, to break down and to overthrow them and to destroy them, I will watch over them and I will build them and I will plant, saith the Lord. Verse 31, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. In in that day, I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt, which covenant they broke, even though I was a husband to them. But this shall be the covenant that I will make to the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and I will write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. He is foretelling of a time when man would not be looking for a building to be built. He would not be looking for a law that could be given. He would not be looking even for a sign, but they would be able to seek the king himself. They shall teach no more every man his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for light by day, and the ordinance of the moon and the stars, and the light by night, which divideth the sea and the waves thereof. The Lord of hosts is his name. These were the promises. And even in the promises of God's goodness, there was also the promise of judgment, as there always is. We are blessed today to know that God calls us his children. Amen. Amen. But we also need to know that as his children, we cannot live in sin. We cannot trust in the things that the world does. We cannot trust in buildings or signs or uh, man-made temporary peace. Folks, if we got everything we wanted, we would be without him. And so God is faithful to allow us to, uh, to be chastened, allow us to be persecuted, allow us to go through difficulty because it seems like only in those times do we even look to him. May, may God change our hearts. May we be the wise men and may we today seek our king. Amen. May we not seek all of these things that says in, uh, <clears throat> Matthew chapter six, it says after these things, Do the Gentiles seek, right? What things, what they're going to wear, what they're going to eat, right? Where they're going to live. He said, but you are to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Wise men seek their king. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the picture of these wise men, Lord, these 
men who came seeking the king, they, in their time, maybe they really had no idea what it was they were doing, but the picture of what they were doing, Lord, is a picture for us today. It is a reminder of who you are and that according to your word, that when we seek you, we will find you. When we shall seek for you with all of our heart, may we today give all of our hearts in the service of seeking you. Lord, may we uh, want to abide in you as, as you told your disciples, abide in me. And I will give you all the desires of your heart. I will fill you with love. Abide in me. May we seek you, Lord, and not the things that come from you. May we not seek your blessings, Lord, but seek you in anything that you have to give us. They will be our blessings. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.